Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. We're um, continuing working through the beginning chapters of, of Luke's Gospel, and today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 and verses 22 to 40, which is all about Joseph and Mary presenting Jesus uh, to God in the temple. Uh, just like you remember how Hannah in the Old Testament, after she gave birth to Samuel, also a miraculous birth after being barren for so many years, went to the temple and presented Samuel to God in the temple. There are a lot of parallels between, between those two accounts. But before we look at our passage, uh, just to understand something of the, the background and the context, of course, at the time of Jesus' birth, the Roman Empire was ruling over Israel, and the Jews were being exploited and oppressed through very high taxes. They were suffering, and so they were wanting God to come and comfort them. Uh, just as he had brought comfort uh, and rescued them many, many years ago when the Babylonians had, uh, had conquered them. And so they were turning back to these old prophecies, such as Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 9, which says, Burst into songs of joy together, your, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So they were looking forward to God intervening and bringing comfort and rescuing them, redeeming them, rescuing them, saving them. And this comfort, this saving, was known as the consolation of Israel or the redemption of Jerusalem. But the very next verse, in verse 10, it says, The Lord will lay bare His holy arm, He will roll up His sleeves, in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. So this salvation was for all people, not just Jews. Uh, this is particularly clear in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6, which is talking about the Lord's servant, the Messiah. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, for the non-Jews, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. So this salvation was for all people, not just the Jews. But most Jews, by the time of Jesus' birth, had forgotten this part of the prophecy. And they were just focusing on the part that God was going to comfort them. And they understood that as uh, meaning that God was going to uh, defeat all the non-Jews, the Romans. And it's within this context that we pick up our reading in Luke chapter 2 and verses 22 to 40. When the time came, the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. 
Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord... They returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. What a crazy day. I mean, it started out like a normal day. I went off to work as usual. I sell pigeons in Jerusalem in the temple. If... um, if you know the temple quite well, I'm in the outer courts, right at the back in the corner under the, the colonnade, those row of pillars. That's where you find my shop. I'm there every day. Or you can find me on Facebook or at pigeon, premiumprigeons.com. It's a quiet time of the year at the moment, for, for selling pigeons, that is. Um, it's during the, ho- the holidays, those big religious festivals when all the pilgrims are in town. That's when we really make our money. But even now, there's the odd local coming in to make some various sacrifices, enough for us to keep the shop open, because we make a very good return on our pigeons. You see, we buy those dirt, cheap city pigeons, you know those flying rats, and then we put a really nice markup on it. Sure, you, you can get a lot cheaper pigeons elsewhere, but people are prepared to pay a premium to buy a pigeon in the temple, hassle-free. And from an expert like me who can assure people like you that this pigeon is not a defect pigeon. This pigeon is a pigeon that God would accept as an offering. Anyhow, if you were to buy a pigeon at the going rate, then what kind of sacrifice is that? So I'm actually doing people a great service. Well, like I said, it was a quiet day. But then all of a sudden, this young couple comes up to my shop with their little baby. I'm guessing she must have been about 14. He might have been 18, 19. And the baby was a newborn, probably about six weeks old. And they were beaming like all proud new parents beam. And when I saw them, I too naturally started beaming. Not because I like babies. I was thinking shekels. You see, as they came up to me, I said, what can I do for you? Will that be one pigeon? See, I assumed that she was coming to perform her purification ritual. You see, according to our law in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 12, a woman, after she's given birth to a baby, like she clearly had, they were considered to be ceremonially unclean for 40 days if the baby was a boy. 80 days if the baby was a girl. During those 40 days, they were able to do their usual daily activities, but they weren't allowed to participate in any religious activity. And they definitely weren't allowed to come into the temple. After those 40 days, they would come to the temple with a lamb and a pigeon. 
And they would have to offer that to the priest as a sacrifice, and then the priest would declare, that, declare them clean. So I naturally thought, one pigeon sale coming up. But then they asked for two pigeons. So I looked over at my partner with raised eyebrows. He nodded in approval. Poor person's offering. Offering of the poor. That's not just what we call it. That's a technical term. You see, our law states in Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 8 that if a person can't afford a lamb, if a lamb is too expensive, then they can offer two pigeons or two doves instead. Now, normally, I look down and despise poor peasants. But in this case, it meant more shekels for me. And it was at this point I could tell that they weren't only poor, but they weren't from around here. They were from up north in Galilee. I could tell by their accent. And I remember at the time thinking, wow, that's impressive. You see, Galileans have a bad reputation for not always following our religious laws and ceremonial laws, which is not too surprising. It's a 90-mile journey. It's, it's a four-day journey from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem. So while most Galileans will try and make an effort to come to one of the big religious festivals like the Passover, but they wouldn't bother to come all that way just for a purification ritual after a birth. And these, this couple was poor, and they were from Galilee, and they were here to make a purification ritual? That's devotion for you. That's real commitment to God and His law. Well, my partner said he heard that they'd been shacking up in Bethlehem, which is a lot closer. But either way, it was still impressive. So I handed them the two pigeons, and they were still beaming with excitement, but also kind of looking disorientated. You know, these rural peasants from outside town always get a bit disorientated in the big city, in the big temple courts with so many people rushing around. So I said, you know where you're going, do you? They nodded and then started looking aimlessly around. I shook my head, ruddy tourists. Look, I'll show you where to go. You've got to take it to the priest. So I led them through the first big court, the court of the Gentiles. That's where all the foreigners and non-Jews are allowed. We rushed through there quickly. And then we got to the court of the woman, which is the inner court. Now, the court of the woman doesn't mean that only women are allowed. No, no. no. What, what it means is that's the only court where women are allowed, the inner court where women are allowed in, or Jewish women, that is. And anyhow, so as we were in the, the court of the woman, making our way through to get to the front by those big steps where the big gate is, that archway, I suddenly noticed that they were looking at these five shekels in their hand. And then they started pointing to these, these um, trumpet-shaped um, bowls under the, the colonnade, those row of pillars at the side, and they pointed at them, and they said, do, do we put our money in there? I said, what is the money for? They said, we, we've come to present our baby, our firstborn to God, and, and this is to redeem him. My first thought was, Wow. Now that's devotion. Not only have they come to perform the purification rit, they've also come to redeem their firstborn son. Now you see, in our law, in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 2, 
It says that the firstborn son belongs to God. So you have to consecrate the firstborn son. You have to give the firstborn son to God. But then our law says in Numbers chapter 18 and verse 16 that you have to redeem your son with the redemption price set at five shekels. That's not much. It's just a couple of, couple of quid. So parents would offer their child and then, so to speak, buy their son back from God for five shekels. It's our way of trying to show that all children are a gift from God. And it's also a way for us to remind us of how God redeemed us, rescued us, saved us from slavery in Egypt many, many years ago. What we could do with God redeeming us, saving us once again from these Romans. Anyhow, I said to them, no, 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 no. You don't put your money over there. No, you, you take your money to the priest. That, that's for the temple tax. That's for the treasury. You take your money to the priest. Look, you know what you've got to do. You walk up to those big steps by the big gateway, the archway. You meet the priest there. First, you give him your pigeons. He will take them. You put your hands on the pigeons. You say a little prayer. He will take the pigeons into the next court. You can watch through the gate. You can't go into the next court. You just watch through the gate. He will sacrifice them. He will come back. He will declare you clean. Then you take your baby. You give him your baby. And then you take your money. You give him the money. He'll wave the money over the child. He'll say some words. He'll pronounce a blessing. And then he'll give your baby back. All done? Okay? You got it? They nodded and smiled, and, and then off they went. I thought, I'd better just stick around and make sure everything's okay. And good thing, too, because as they were making their way up the stairs, guess who shows up? Old Simeon, right at that very moment. Now, you guys don't even know who Old Simeon is. He's well known within the temple court. He's a pretty old guy, and he's been righteous and devout for his whole life. And he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, for God to come and comfort Israel. You see, we're all suffering under this Roman oppression and exploitation, and we're all longing for God to intervene through his Messiah and to bring comfort and rescue us. Most of us either try to take matters in our own hands and, and violently overcome evil in the name of God, well, to me, that just leads to more evil. Others, like myself, what we do is just give up on all this hope for the impossible. You know, God is not going to come and rescue us and comfort us, so give up on all of that. Look, God, God is distant. God is not intimately involved in our life. He doesn't care about our little problems. He's not going to roll up his sleeves and get his hands dirty. No. So give up on all that silly hope and just accept that things are the way they are and try and make the best of it, like making money, selling pigeons. Anyhow, Simeon, however, he is what we call one of the quiet in the land. He doesn't go in for all the violence. He doesn't want to call down heaven's armies on the Romans. He has devoted his whole life to constant prayer and, and to patiently and quietly waiting for God to come and intervene through his Messiah 
and to bring comfort. Now, while I think his hope is seriously misplaced, I do respect his sincere devotion and, and his integrity. He is a very spiritual man. Uh, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, it, uh, I heard that it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Well, that's not going to happen, is it? I kind of feel sorry for him. I mean, imagine spending your whole life waiting for something that's never going to happen. And he looks like he's about to peg over any day now. So, I mean, what a shame. What a waste of a life. But then the strangest thing happened. As soon as he saw the baby, he, he stopped in his tracks and he, and he just stared at the baby. Uh, later I heard that he, he had been moved by the Holy Spirit to come into the temple courts just at that very moment. And then he took the baby in his arms. And then he, he, he started to praise God. He said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people Israel. Wow, it was as, as if he thought this little baby was the Messiah himself. That this was God himself coming, stepping into human history as a human, as a baby. And now that he had seen this baby, he had seen God's salvation. All his dreams and all his prayers had been fulfilled. And he was ready to die. But this, this little baby can't be the Messiah. I mean, the, the, the parents are, are, are poor rural peasants. God wouldn't identify with the poor. God wouldn't want to experience a life of no luxuries. God, God wouldn't want to experience the, the, the stress of everyday life, the worries of everyday life, trying to make ends meet, trying to, to make a living, looking at every penny twice, would he? God wouldn't be interested in the mess in my life. Then he said a blessing over them, and then he said to them in a very solemn way, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. He seemed to be implying that this child, this little child would cause division. That many people would reject him. The very people who he had come to save would reject him. And then he looked at the mother and he said, And a sword will pierce your own soul too. He seemed to be saying that she would see people rejecting her son, see her son suffering, and ultimately see her son dying for the very people he came to save. And this would be like a sword piercing her own soul. But why would he suffer? Why would God come and experience human suffering? I mean, 
Wasn't Simeon waiting for God to come and bring comfort? Right? And wasn't it this baby, this Messiah, who was going to bring that comfort? So why would he suffer? Or could it be that God would deal with our suffering by sharing it? Could it be that that it's by God experiencing and identifying with our suffering that He brings true comfort and ultimately overcomes all suffering and evil in the world? I wonder. But I don't know if I can believe all of this. And I was wondering and pondering this when all of a sudden, the next second... Who should appear at that very moment but Anna or, or Hannah in the, in the Hebrew? Now, again, you don't know Hannah, but she's a prophet. She's known as a prophet. In my culture, there are not many people who are known as a prophet, especially if you're a woman. So that's quite an honor. And she's, she virtually lives in the temple. She, she's here every day praying and worshiping God. And she is really, really old. I mean, I think she might be about 84, although someone else was saying, no, 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 she had been a widow for 84 years, which would make her about 105. I mean, she is really old. However old she is, she's old. And uh, when she suddenly saw the baby, she just burst into the spontaneous praise. She just started praising God, and then she started freely telling everyone about the baby. Unlike old Simeon, old Simeon sees the baby, and he goes, okay, I'm ready to die. When she sees the baby, she just gets this release of life, this lease of life, and she's new sense of energy and praising God and, and telling people all about this baby. Actually, as I... I looked at the two of them with Simeon ready to die and with Anna getting this new lease of life. So I started wondering, could this be an end of a whole old era that is giving birth to a whole new era? I mean, they're both really old and they've been waiting their whole life for God to fulfill His promises. And now they see this baby and they believe that all the promises of the Old Testament have been fulfilled. Even all the laws in the Old Testament, all their their sacrifices have been fulfilled. And a whole new era has begun. And in this new era, everyone's included. Remember, Simeon had said this was for all peoples, even the Gentiles, even the non-Jews, even the Romans. Everyone's included, even the poor, even the young, like this young couple, even the old, like old Simeon and Anna, men and women, Simeon and Anna, everyone, even non-Jews, everyone's included. Wow, if that's the case, then you no longer need all those courts in the temple. In fact, I guess you don't even need a temple at all. Wow. Well, as I was watching 
Anna with all her joy and excitement and energy. I must confess, I was amazed. You see, Anna is a long-time, a long-term widow. She probably got married at about the age of 14. Her husband probably died at around the age of 21. And for the rest of her life, she's been a widow. She knows what it means to suffer. She's had a hard life. Yet she never became resentful or bitter. She never turned her back on God. She never gave up hope that God cared for her and that, and that God would comfort her. I, I mean, I would have given up a long time ago. As the years rolled on, I would have lost all hope. In fact, I, I have turned my back on God. I've become cynical. I've given up. I've lost hope. The best I, I, I can do is, is say to me, is make the best of what, how, the way things are. But all that hardship, all that sorrow, just made her kinder and more sympathetic, made her faith deeper. She never gave up hope that God cared for her and God would comfort her. I want to be like her when I get old. In fact, I want to be like her now. How about you? Would you like to have the faith and the hope of an Anna? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you aren't a God who remains distant and aloof and uninterested, but you are a God who rolls up his sleeves and gets his hands dirty. You are a God who comes and gets intimately involved and experiences everything we've experienced because you love us and you identify with us and you come to comfort us. And Father, we pray that we would never grow cynical, that we would never grow bitter and resentful, that we would always be filled with that hope that we see in Simeon and Anna and that we would always know your presence and your comfort. And that great hope that we have because of Jesus. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.